0: let's hear it for the kids one more time they did a great job it's always a treat (laughs) one of the big surprises of christmas is how few people anymore really know what christmas is about they don't really know it's about Jesus anymore, but I guess it shouldn't be too shocking to us, considering the way our culture celebrates it, right with all the consumerism and, and festivities and all the mythologies surrounding it. Uh, why would anybody think any of this has to do with God? So as Christians, now, more than ever, it's our job to tell people the reason for the season, to let them know about Jesus, and that's what it means to be a witness, is to testify to the truth. Now, at the first Christmas, the, the birth of Jesus, the very first witnesses were the shepherds. You know, angels appeared to them and with a very big surprise. And when they did, uh, just outside of Bethlehem, here's the story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8-14. through 14. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A huge surprise that this would happen. Another big surprise is appearing to shepherds. Why did God choose shepherds? I mean, the creator of the universe shows up on earth and you would think he would appear to, to royalty, to kings and queens, or at least to maybe the Jewish scholars, the important people, or maybe even just construction workers and uh, bakers and uh, merchants, anybody. Shepherds? Why shepherds? I mean, were they the only ones around and awake at that time? Or was there something more significant? Was it more purposeful that God chose shepherds? Well, God had been planning this since the foundation of the world, He doesn't really do anything on accident, so there must be a reason why he chose shepherds. And maybe it has something to do with the idea that Jesus himself would be the shepherd of God's people, or maybe even the idea that he would be the Lamb of God. You know, the reason why these shepherds were tending all these flocks was because of the great need for sacrificial animals. It's not like they were raising them all for for food or for clothing, but... Over the centuries, every year, year after year, thousands and thousands of lambs would be slaughtered on behalf of the people's sins, right? Because God had set up this Jewish system in his mercy to allow animals to be substitutes for people because it's the people that deserved death as the penalty for the wages of their sins. But God allowed these lambs to take their place Even though the people deserved it, the the blood was shed from the lamb and sprinkled as a symbol of forgiveness, and yet it never truly granted forgiveness because a lamb can't be a true substitute for a human. That's why Jesus shows up. He is the actual true substitute. Why? Well, first of all, he's born human, and so his human life could take the place of another human life. More than that, he was perfect lived a sinless life which qualified him to be the perfect substitute for a sinful person but more than that he was born God in the flesh which meant his one life his infinite life was worth all the finite mortal lives of all time put together that makes him the only qualified candidate to take away the sins of the whole world and and so when the shepherds showed up they got to look upon the lamb of God which meant eventually they would be put out of business, right? Because there wouldn't be a need for thousands and thousands of sheep anymore to be sacrificed. But maybe there was even more behind it than that, that shepherds would be chosen as symbols of acceptance. That God loves everybody. He cares for people from all walks of life. You know, our world tends to value the upper classes and the elite and shepherds certainly were not among those because these guys hung out with sheep all the time. They, they ate with their sheep. You know, they, they slept outdoors. Uh, they smelled like sheep all the time. And so sophisticated people kept their distance from shepherds. But not God. God actually showed up to them. Romans 12 says, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do you tend to snub people who you consider lowly, who don't have as much wealth as you do, who are not as well-dressed as you or not as well-educated as you? Are you willing to associate with people of low position? Because James writes, if a man's wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, well, you you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You've shown favoritism. Do you include all people? Because in the church of Christ, there's room for all and the ground is truly level. And yet, you know, even if you're among the lowly, you can tend to discriminate too. You can look down on people who have more than you. You can make unfair assumptions and overgeneralizations that they're all snobbish and they're all arrogant, and many are. But some are humble and generous. So we have to be careful about judging people based on those kinds of things. Because discrimination can work both ways, can it? And it's all sin. We want to be witnesses to everyone. We don't want to leave anybody out because everybody needs Jesus. The shepherds were told by the angels, go check this out, and so they went to investigate. And we would expect that. We're not surprised that they would go, look, and then they would would want to tell everybody what they've seen. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20 say, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, here's here's where they become witnesses, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here we go. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So, of course, you're going to tell people all you have heard and seen when it's something incredible, when it's made an impact on your life. You want to share that with other people. But here's what's surprising, is after they told a bunch of people, then they went back to their sheep, to their routine. You say, "Why? you would think These guys would go into full-time ministry. They would become missionaries, but no, they go right back to doing what they were doing before because to be a witness means you just tell what you have seen and heard. You tell what you have experienced. Evangelism is sharing the good news of what Jesus has done in your life, the change that he has made, the salvation you've experienced. Some people go into ministry. They go other places and become missionaries. But most, they just go back to their homes, to the people they know. That's the people God has put in your life to be a witness to. Because let's face it, most people are going to be pretty skeptical and not appreciate when people share their religious views unless they know you and they trust you and they like you well, now you have some credibility. And they are going to listen to you. I mean, I could talk to them all day long, but they're not going to listen to me. They're going to listen to you. Think about when Andrew met Jesus. What's the first thing he does? He goes and tells his brother, Simon Peter, you've got to come listen to this guy. The woman at the well, when she encounters Jesus, she goes back to her hometown and tells everybody, you've got to come listen to this guy who told me everything about my life. When Jesus heals that man born blind, the authorities call him in for questioning. He says, well, I don't really know much about Jesus, but what I do know is I was blind and now I see. That's being a witness. I don't know everything, but here's what I do know, and I want you to know it too. I want you to experience what I've experienced. And when people see a genuine change in your life, when they see that it's real, then that's a a good testimony. You can do that. You don't have to be a gifted communicator. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or some professional to be a good witness for Jesus. you just got to tell what you've known. And I think it it, it could be very surprising to you how much God could use you to change somebody's life forever. Even one invite to church can change somebody's eternity. Now, there were other witnesses. Other couple surprising witnesses were two elderly prophets because 40 days after the birth Joseph and Mary did what Jewish law commanded and they went to the temple and they had Mary go through the purification ceremony and they offered a sacrificial animal on behalf of their firstborn son. And who just happens to be hanging out in the temple is these two old prophets who had been expectantly anxiously waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And so in luke 2 25 it says there was a man in jerusalem whose name was simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of israel so year after year through all the jewish festivals of yom kippur and passover and pentecost and tabernacles they waited every day every morning sacrifice every evening sacrifice every prayer they were waiting for the prophesied messiah to show up another day more waiting still nothing well not today maybe tomorrow another morning sacrifice another evening sacrifice still no messiah year after year after year waiting for the consolation of Israel you know the idea that Israel would be given relief and comfort and rescue from their pagan Roman oppressors and occupiers going on in verse 25 and the Holy Spirit was upon him Simeon and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ the Messiah which is a really unusual promise from the Lord But maybe to honor Simeon's great faith and patience and devotion, God said, you're going to get to see the Messiah that you've been hoping and praying for. And the day finally came, verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. Now maybe some of you came into church today, that you were moved to be here, that you were impressed to be here not by accident or coincidence, but because God wanted you here today so that you could experience something special that you're not gonna get out anywhere else in the world. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, you would probably freak out if some man came along and grabbed your baby out of your arms and started you know, making a fuss over him. Typically, that's not a big issue for women, right? Women love to make a fuss over other people's babies. Like, let me hold your baby. And they coo, and they, they make all kinds, oh, just a good baby, what a beautiful baby. Men aren't really like that so much, are they? I mean, most men are like, it's a baby. Yeah, that's a, that's a baby. All babies kind of look the same. I'll kind of look like Winston Churchill, right? I mean, is that just me? I mean, am I right, men? Like, you know, we don't, we don't pick up babies and, and talk about how wonderful they are, but Simeon was different. He picked up that baby in his arms, and the baby looked just like any other baby. I mean, no halo glowing over his head. There was no chorus of angels singing beside him. But the Spirit said to Simeon, oh, this one's different. This is the one you've been waiting for. Verses 27 to 32. And and Simeon said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The Christ child, the one that all God-fearing, law-keeping, faith-filled Jewish people had been longing and looking for over the centuries had finally showed up right there in the temple on that day and Simeon got his promise. Lord, I can die now. I've finally seen your salvation. I'm good to go. I think about many years ago, my dad, when he was on his deathbed and he was just lingering on life support, our firstborn son, had just come into the world a few days previously and my wife was able to, to take our baby to see my dad in the hospital and two days later he died. We, we just think he was waiting to see that baby before he died. So if you could see Simeon in the temple holding that little boy, you would see a very surprised man but a very satisfied man. Old prophet. In verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine the surprise of Mary and Joseph as this old prophet takes their baby and starts foretelling all the things he, he's going to do? He's going to cause the rise and fall of many, and he's going to be a light for both the Gentiles and the Jews. And his words must have been coming out very loudly and melodically and echoing throughout the temple as a witness to Jesus. But there was another prophet in the temple that day. Verses 36 to 37 say there was a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night, night and day. She was one of these permanent residents, a part of this special section in the women's court uh, of widows who were supported in their ministry of prayer. And she had probably been doing this for some 60 years verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she became a witness to Jesus as well. We don't know all the words she said, but she's given thanks to God for finally sending his Messiah into the world, speaking to all the people who had been waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And obviously, that's a receptive audience, right? They've they've been waiting to hear this news. Now, most of the people that we go witness to are not that receptive. In fact, let's face it, a lot of them are very resistant to what we have to say. But they need what we have. They have got to hear what we have to say, whether they know it or not. Because if they don't hear it from us, where are they going to hear it? This is the news that saves and it seems like, you know, the younger you are, the more people you have to witness to. you got a lot of friends, a lot of people who don't know the Lord. And so you got a lot. But you know, here's what happens as you get older. The older you get, the bolder you get. <laughs> because uh, you don't care what people think about you anymore. <laughs> Your days are numbered, and you just want to take as many people to heaven with you as you can. So... That's the two old prophets, but there were still some other witnesses yet to show up, the wise men. Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So, again, all very surprising. Now, scripture doesn't tell us how many wise men there were, it just says there were three gifts given and it's not likely they showed up at the manger, which you typically see in nativity scenes, uh, because they traveled a great distance. It says they came from afar. And I won't talk about the churches down in Alabama that set out the nativity scenes where the wise men are dressed in fireman uniforms because they came from afar. I won't, we won't talk about those. We're talking, it's a great distance away, far east of Israel. Uh, So these are guys that you would never expect to show up. But somehow, they had come into contact with the scriptural prophecies about a messianic king. And they they show up, where? In Jerusalem, saying, where's the king? Because that's what you would expect. You would expect a, a king to be born in a palace in the capital city. But that's not where Jesus was, was he? And what led them there is also a big surprise. It was a star. And not just any star. I mean, some people have tried to explain it away as a natural phenomenon, but this was a supernatural revelation from the Lord that led them directly to Jesus. Going on in verses 3 through 6, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So there he is. He's the shepherd. He's the king. It's a big surprise to King Herod that there's gonna be this rival to his throne. So what's he do? Verses 711. He summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. (laughs) And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. So they found the house where Jesus was staying, which may have been possibly the manger house. I mean, back then, you know, a manger actually could be part of a house, kind of where you bring in the animals from the cold, attached. But more likely, this is sometime later, and they have found some other house to occupy. And we know it's later because Luke no longer uses the term infant or baby. He uses the term child, for Jesus, And so we don't know how old he is other than we know Herod, based on when the star arrived, uh, executes the baby boys in Jerusalem, you know, all that region uh, that were up to two years old. So it's quite likely Jesus was somewhere between a year or two years old. I mean, that's the time when you're still measuring your age and months. I mean, I'm not sure how long that should go. How, when do you stop saying months? I mean, you know, Jesus is maybe 18 months. You're like, well, my son's 180 months. What? (laughs) 15 years. Okay. At some point, we stop saying months, and we we start counting years, but Jesus is still very small, and it goes on in verses 11 and 12, where they fell down, and they worshiped him, which is another big surprise to have these wise men from a pagan culture come and fall down, prostrate, themselves before a baby Jewish boy. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, we also know these wise men as magi, which seems to be a term for like a court astrologer or astronomer, somebody who would study the the sky and the signs and the stars. Kind of like what maybe you saw way back in the Old Testament when Daniel, the great prophet from Israel, was taken captive into Babylon, and he became the wise man of the court in Babylon. He would, con- he would counsel the king and later the Medo-Persian king, so it's quite possible these guys are from that area, Babylon, Medo-Persian area in the east, and Daniel had passed along the scriptural prophecy, like from Numbers 24, 17, or says there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter or a ruler shall rise out of Israel maybe that's how the wise men knew about it or it's possible God just spoke to them in a dream i mean he told them in a dream go back home another way So maybe God had spoken to them in a dream about the significance of the star, we don't know, but these guys come from a pagan culture with very limited scriptural understanding. These were not likely candidates to worship a Jewish Messiah. But then again, God is very purposeful in who he calls to be witnesses, not just poor Jewish shepherds, but wealthy gentile wise men which was very much needed because their gifts helped finance Mary and Joseph's escape to Egypt where they lived for quite some time. They got to escape Herod's order to kill the baby. So those gifts changed their lives. That was no coincidence. See, Jesus is not just the Messiah of the Jews. He's everybody's Messiah. He loves everybody, and that seems very obvious to us now. We've heard it so many times. But back then, it was a very radical idea that Jesus came to be the Savior of people from all cultures and languages and races and colors and nationalities. He's the Savior of all. And so when they fall down and worship him, it is a surprising sight. But they truly were wise men to seek him, to leave behind their homes, their families, to make this long, arduous, inconvenient, costly, dangerous journey to worship this newborn king. What a big surprise that was that they would do that but they were wise to do it they went through all of that and it makes me wonder what would we do what how willing are we to go for Jesus we have trouble going across the street and so our big idea is God expects you to be a witness for Jesus will you tell others what you've experienced in Christ how he has changed your life what you have seen and heard? Can you imagine if the shepherds had kept their mouths shut? If the two old prophets had remained silent? If the wise men hadn't bothered to take that journey, what would they have missed out on? What would others miss out on because they would have never heard? What are you missing out on because you're not sharing the good news? What are others missing out on because they've got nobody to tell them? And don't assume people know the meaning of Christmas. They don't. Don't assume people, of course, understand they're welcome at church. They don't know that. They won't come until they receive a personal invitation. And it's not too late to do that for Christmas Eve and Eve Eve this Thursday and Friday. I hope you'll call some people. You'll text some people. You'll say, hey, would you come with me to South Point for Christmas Eve? It's going to be a meaningful way to start your holiday. We're going to have carols and candle lighting and cookies and cocoa and the message is, What a strange way to save the world. Your kids are going to enjoy it. So, you know, send them to that website, christmasanddownriver.com. Share some posts. Online, but do your best to be a witness this week. In fact, I would challenge you to invite 10 people to be here Thursday or Friday because one invite could change a life. But let me first ask about you. Where do you stand with the Lord right now? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'm recommending you do it today. You say, well, I didn't come here to church expecting to do anything like that. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of here checking things out I'm Christmas time and kind of doing a little recon and all that. Yeah, it would be a big surprise if you gave your life to Jesus today, but it would be the best surprise ever. It would be a surprise to your family, to your friends, if you said, today's the day. I'm becoming a Christ follower. But it will be the best surprise gift you've ever received. So in the next few moments when the music is playing, you just get up from where you are and come down and meet with one of my friends up here at the front because they would love to help you make that step of faith to get you baptized today. If you've never done that, we've got everything you need, towels and clothes and robes and hair dryers and everything ready for you. They're here to answer your questions. We're not afraid of hard questions or difficult topics. They're here to pray for you, whatever they can do to help you take your next step in faith. If you're watching online, text us or email us, or you can do that here on site as well. We'll get back to you as soon as possible. But if you're already a Christ follower, then a couple other ways you can respond to what you've heard today is one, by giving. We talked about that already. You can give on the, on the app or in the give boxes at the back. You can drop in you know, cash or checks or whatever you got. You can do it online, but today is the final day to give Toward supporting adoptions, and you need to understand. Be clear, this money is not going to organizations or charities. This money will go directly to South Point families as first priority, who are looking to adopt, and then and, and, you know whoever, whatever other, other families in our area who meet the qualifications to receive those funds. Okay, starting tomorrow, everything you give will go back to helping us to win Downriver to Christ. But another way you can respond is through communion. We, uh, we do this every weekend when we come in, we pick up uh, one of those little communion containers with the bread and the cup because the bread reminds us of Christ's body. The cup reminds us of his blood shed. In other words, it, it reminds us of his sacrifice, that he was our lamb, our substitute. And when we eat it and we drink it as Christ followers, then we proclaim our faith in him and our need for a savior and the value of our fellowship. But if you're not yet a Christ follower, use this time to pray, to reflect on where you stand with God right now. You know, I think back to the first Christmas and all those witnesses looking on that innocent little baby, and I'm sure it never crossed their mind that he would one day be hanging on a cross for them. Because that's what he came in the world to do. He was born to die because he's the only one qualified to do it the only one willing to do it and when he rose from the dead he proved that he really is the king of kings and one day every knee will bow let's pray father we want to use this time to respond to you wherever we're at in our spiritual journey Whatever age or stage we're at, God, we pray that you would help us to know you better, that we would be um, convicted of our need for Jesus or to grow in our faith or to share our faith with others, God. I pray for for some today to make the decision, the most important decision of their life, to follow you, to be baptized. I pray for others, God, who need a, a courage and they need open doors and opportunities to. Help others come to faith. Give them the words and the heart to speak to their family and friends or just anybody, Lord, that needs to know Jesus as Savior. That you would convict all of us, God, of our sin. That uh, we can be so grateful that your Son came into this world, gave his body, his blood, his, his life, so that we could be forgiven fully and forever. We pray it in his name. Amen.